Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sci-Fi Unchained. Really quick, I just wanted to invite everyone to join our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Well, there is a Twitter, but I don't really use it that much. And to be honest, all I use Facebook and Instagram for is funny memes, a compelling conversation or two, and an occasional episode update. But anyway, come on over and join us and enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another very special episode of Sci-Fi Unchained. I am here with my buddy, the lore master of Mandalore, Tad Larkin. Tad, take it away. How are we doing, everyone? I'm Tad Larkin, host of the YouTube channel Mandalore. Uh, all of your Star Wars Expanded Universe factoids are... You can find them on my channel. Yes, and it is, uh, it's, it's really fun watching your channel for me because uh, I, uh, I remember the original Battlefront games <laughs> and they remind me of, of those games so much. I, I do have some sound effects for the from the original Battlefront games, especially when uh, I'm doing a, a video about a location, like a, a planet. I will have it kind of zoom in, like in the loading screen of the original, original Battlefront from 2004 mm-hmm. with the, the sound effects and everything. I was really proud of that anim- animation. Excuse me. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a really awesome, fun little... Uh, little animation that i i really would have loved if they brought over to uh, the newer battlefronts because <laughs> there's i mean the newer battlefronts had their own charms and in things that i liked and disliked about them but if they would just have brought just tiny little details because star wars fans love that right it's all the it's all the little details I was excited for the new Battlefronts because I, back in the day, I was really into Battlefield 2142 and Battlefield 2. Those are my two favorite Battlefield games. So I was thinking, oh, DICE is making this new Star Wars Battlefront game. It's going to be everything I love about the Star Wars Battlefront series with everything I love about the Battlefield series. And that it didn't really coalesce in that way. No, no, they, they introduced a paywall. <laughs> I was just... I just didn't like the vehicles and uh, the way they did heroes too. Wasn't a fan of that. No, wasn't it for, I, I can't remember if it was Darth Maul or Darth Vader that you could get after either. What was it like 2000 hours of gameplay oh, or, or uh, 20 bucks. And it's and like, like it's like, okay, so waste your life or pay 20 bucks. Anyone's going to pay 20 bucks. Yeah. I was like, all right, this is this is a cheap shot here, dice. But thanks, I guess. Yeah, but anyways. Anyways, um, we digress. Yeah, but uh, Mandalore is great because it's it like I was saying earlier in our pre-show. Uh, it's great for people who are already Star Wars fans and people who may not know much about Star Wars or even Star Wars fans that you know, like the new stuff, but are have are completely clueless about what was before and want to learn a little bit more. So I try to make it easily digestible as possible. And I have this character, Tad Larkin, and he guides you through this amazing universe. And 
it's like it's as if you're watching it on like a, a hollow pad and i worked very hard to try to get that feeling and it it certainly shows um something else that your channel reminds me of is um you, you remember in the uh I, I can't remember if it was swotor or kotor the uh the history analogs yes with jedi master nostarel yes yes he he was uh that those were also a very big influence because i remember when the swotor trailers came out and um me and my friends would watch them all the time. I'm not big into MMOs and I never actually played SWTOR, but I was excited for the game. So I was following the development of the game and every like month or so, I can't remember how regular they were, but they would release a timeline video where it'd be Jedi Master Nostarel, uh, voiced by Lance Henriksen from Aliens, which is cool. Um, and he would go in and he would tell you like, different bits of star wars history and it was it was nice to have all this kind of coalesce into the theme of the game and bioware being you know those who made knights of the old republic were really good at that and they brought that attention to detail so they succeeded in, in my opinion oh a hundred percent i i i'll give all of those uh those history videos uh, a good watch every now and then <laughs> whenever I have nothing to do or just want background noise uh, while I'm playing Empire at War mods. <laughs> so, yeah, no, the, love that part of it. And I'm not a big uh, MMO or MMORPG gamer. Uh, I, I prefer RTSs. Oh, me as well. Yeah, so Warcraft 3, Frozen Throne, uh, Empire at War. Total War. I'm really big into Total War. Mm. So one of the things uh, that I wanted to ask you about was your outlook on what we had in the old expanded universe before the Disney buyout mm -hmm. uh, in regards to Mandalore itself, the, mm -hmm. the planet, the culture, the people, and the differences between the new Mandalore and the new expanded universe, which mm -hmm. granted, we don't have too much of yet, especially compared to what we have in terms of content with the old EU. Mm -hmm. well, I, to, to be fair, uh, before I answer your question, I think the amount of content they've created for their new universe is, has actually exploded at twice the rate it had when the original expanded universe novels were first coming out. Really? I feel there is already a good amount of lore, like um, like books and comics and games there. Just in the first, how how it's not even ten years old now when you think about it, because twenty fourteen is when they officially decanonized the expanded universe. Mm -hmm. So it would be it's going to be ten years old in two years. But right. so it's not even a decade. Their new universe isn't even a decade old yet. And they still, they already have so many like of these books and comics and video games and to a volume where that wasn't really the case back in the late seventies, early eighties, there were comparatively, there were very few novels and comics and video games were uh, still a new thing back then. So you didn't really have those. 
and those first video games didn't really tell any new stories. They just kind of told the stories of the films, but I digress. But um, yeah, to answer your question, uh, the changes with the Mandalorians uh, actually start before the expanded universe is even decanonized. And this is a thing I've gotten a lot of guff for on one of my 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 first YouTube channel, which was Captain Fordo, um, where I've got a couple of videos on there that some people agree with, some people don't. It's a, more of an opinion piece that I put out there, but uh, a lot of the changes that the new canon implemented came before the expanded universe was even decanonized with Star Wars: The Clone Wars. Because uh, I'm, not, I'm not putting the show down; the show's great. It's a you know I was. It's, it's an entertaining show, um, but they kind of ignore the expanded universe a little bit. And, you know, with George Lucas being the executive producer, he can obviously do that. But with that came some changes. And one of the changes was the Mandalorians. So um, the new Mandalorians are this uh, peaceful society where, you know, they kind of want to shed a shed their past and you know they're looking towards neutrality they don't want any part in the clone war and you know anakin and obi-wan ultimately go over there because they want mandalore on the republic side instead of the cis and that's a common theme in most of the earlier episodes of tcw mm-hmm. but um they completely butchered the culture with that in my opinion and they've kind of tried to rectify that by saying, oh, you know, the old Mandalorians were on the other side of the planet and they still exist. But when you get into the semantics of it, the ecology of Mandalore and uh, it doesn't match up because in the show, Mandalore is portrayed as this blasted, irradiated planet because supposedly a couple hundred years back, uh, the Republic had bombarded the planet as a punishment for the Mandalorians for some atrocity during the Mandalorian excision, which took place around 700 years before the new movies. Um, and it's, that's inconsistent with the uh, multi-terrain Mandalore that we're fo- faced with in the books and comics, where it's this Terran-type planet where mm-hmm. there's you know, multiple biomes of desert, jungle, uh, forest, grasslands, you name it. So that's where it really started. And then, you know, with the new canon based off of TCW, the man, so the Mandalorians were already kind of um, different. And so they had the Death Watch, which was a thing in the expanded universe because um, around 60 years before New Hope, uh, there was a guy named Tor Vizsla who broke away from the Mandalorians because uh, a guy named Jaster Mareel came in and said, hey, you know, you guys are being too violent. You're being pirates and you're, you're raiding planets for no reason just because you're bored. Why don't you shape up and sell your, uh, basically sell yourself as a mercenary instead of, you know, just going around and pillaging for fun and mm. Tor Vizsla didn't like that so that was the whole basis for the Death Watch but so Jango Fett destroyed the Death Watch around 40 years before the new movies 
uh, nothing, excuse me, before A New Hope. And they kind of brought them back in TCW, which was interesting because, you know, it, it's, it's showing that, yeah, they are acknowledging this bit of lore, but at the same time, it's like, they're gone. <laughs> they're dead. <laughs> what are they doing here? Um, yeah, yeah, for, for the most part. All, all of the uh, the flavor text and the details that we got, uh, especially in one of my favorite uh, Star Wars novel series, the uh, Republic Commando series, mm-hmm. and the the one Imperial Commando novel that we got, uh, like the 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 language for the most part, I I don't think has ever technically been re-canonized uh and the language was a huge part it's it's one of it's one of their uh their tenets one mm-hmm. of their six tenets right yep uh, the Rizalnare. right uh i don't think that they touch on it a couple of places but it's mm-hmm. not as heavily emphasized uh the armor the armor mm-hmm. color the armor meaning uh being passed down through the familial line mm-hmm. um the and the the world being changed really bothered me be, yeah. because uh, uh it, it was supposed to be uh, you're right this multi-terrained place with forests and and these canyons and deserts and and it was supposed to be a really harsh planet full of predators and rough terrain and, mm-hmm. and uh, all this kind of junk that you would imagine would would house a warrior culture mm-hmm. so they they replace it with this dystopian like planet that that looks like what would look like 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 earth after world mm-hmm. war three <laughs> <laughs> where where uh, it, i i can't remember where this is from but uh, there was a saying that went like World War Three will be fought with nukes, World War Four will be fought with sticks and spears. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I I really didn't like all of these things either not making it back into uh, canon or being written out entirely or mm-hmm. or not addressed at all. Um, they lacked was- diversity as well. Um, one of the things with the the old Mandalorians was they didn't they didn't discriminate like your species. So you could be a Talt if you wanted to, the big furry mm-hmm. uh, white thing from the Cantina and A New Hope. If if you don't understand what I'm trying to trying to say, look it up. T A L Z. But they they don't they don't and th- excuse me i'm sorry i'm rambling here they don't view you know it like that they view it as what is your prowess as a warrior and with the new mandalorians they were all human even with even in like rebels which they got a little bit better in rebels because they brought the armor back they kind of they're they're um there is, I believe there is an instance in Rebels where Sabine speaks Mandoa to another Mandalorian. Mm. 
Um, but they're still all human. Granted, they're not all white with blonde hair and blue eyes like they were in TCW, which is kind of uh, dystopian to mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of put in your words, mm-hmm. uh, especially. Um, yeah, they made them German for some reason. Yes. Like, why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> why are they the German, the space Germans? What's going exactly. On? But um, no, uh, with the Mandalorian, though, they do bring in some things from the old expanded universe that I quite appreciated. Uh, so in the old expanded universe, Mandalorians with with family, they don't, of course, there are like natural families. There, there will be Mandalorians who were born to Mandalorian mothers and fathers. Um, but there are some families where they adopted a child or you can even mm-hmm. adopt a brother or you can uh, adopt a father. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of this thing. It's called the right of Guy Balmanda, which is basically you take your really good buddy and you guys say a short ceremonial phrase and then your buddy's now your brother and that is legally recognized in mandalorian society that your buddy is now your brother you know um so they introduced the concept of a foundling which i thought was interesting and even in the scene where i hope i'm not spoiling this for anybody but in the scene where dejin dejarin is or din jarin excuse me is found by that death watch mandalorian it i appreciated that because it looked a lot like the uh open seasons comics which were Django Fett's origin story mm-hmm. and at the end of one of those first issues uh Django Fett gets adopted by the Mandalorian Jaster Mareel and I thought that was a cool little harken back so I did appreciate seeing that um other things I appreciated was they did bring the Mandalorian language back in with that Mandoa script that they decoded mm-hmm. at the, in the last season. I, I saw that. And yep. uh, a, a fun little thing that was just put in there for people like you and me, right. uh, they made that script actually translate. Yep. So you see Boba's name, you see Django's name, and you see Jaster's name. Yep. And Concord Dawn and all of that. So I, di- I did appreciate that. There are some things, though, where the whole thing with taking their helmets off which I found kind of not accurate because a whole lot of other Mandalorians take their helmets off. And even in Star Wars Rebels, a lot of those Mandalorians take their helmets off as well. Uh, I, I've come to understand that there, the explanation for this is that Din is part of this different clan of Mandalorians that like to keep their helmets on. And I, I guess that's a good explanation. That's fine. But I was thoroughly confused beforehand. I, I was too. I was, uh, <laughs> trust me. I was like, oh no, another round of retcons. Damn it. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, yeah, uh, I, it, I, I do like the explanation that they're this really zealous um, sort of doomsday prepper faction mm-hmm. of death, of death watch. Um, and I, I like how, all of all of these subsets seem to fit together uh, mm-hmm. within even just Death Watch, which in and of itself is supposed to be just a branch of, of right. Mandalorian warrior culture. Uh, so you have like 
Bo-Katan Kreese and her night owls. And, and now you have this uh, Children of the Watch branch. You, you have um, the, the Mandos that were loyal to Maul, the Maul DeLorean Super Commandos. I have a, uh, a couple thoughts about that later, but continue Ooh. yours. Ooh. Uh-huh. So I, I like the steady growth of expansion or expansion of growth rather that that they're not shoving everything all at once in our faces they're they're letting us as an audience become familiar with an aspect Mm -hmm. uh character or explanation about something and then once we've fully absorbed it okay now we can move on to the next thing and and it just kind of repeats uh, rinse, wash, repeat. Um, and that's what made the Mandalorian work for me so well is yes, the seasons were short mm-hmm. in, in terms of what we would normally get for a live action season. But to be fair, it's movie quality episodes. I was going to say, I've seen oh. like clips and the production quality is amazing and you've got oh, all the the props and the costume design so you get what you pay for you know yeah oh yeah um, um so uh that that's what made the mandalorian work for me is is it was not rushed at all it it didn't introduce us to a ton of new eu stuff um, and at the same time, what it did give us, I don't think anybody dislikes because of how they introduced it, how they explained how it fit into the overall canon mm-hmm. and what we already knew of Mandalorian culture, both old and new EU. Yeah, it kind of melds them together. Yeah. So... Yeah, the the Mandalorian super worked for me in that regard, in <laughs> in terms of giving us new uh, Mandalorian uh, context. Right. No, that's good. Um, but another major key difference between the new Mandalorians and the Mandalorians in the expanded universe is the concept of the dark saber and what it means to be Mandalore and how you become Mandalore. So. Mandalore is, for those who don't know, Mandalore is the chieftain of the planet Mandalore. He's the chieftain of chieftains. Um, Now, in the past, the way a Mandalore was chosen was he would inherit Mandalore's mask, which was this kind of gold mask with a T-shaped visor. And we're talking back like, you know, 4,000 years before the new movies where the Mandalorians were their own species and hadn't all just become human yet, humans yet. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, is that Mandalore the Great or Mandalore the Destroyer's Mask? So um, the first time we see Mandalore's Mask is in Star Wars Tales of the Jedi, and that's Mandalore the Indomitable. Ah. So Mandalore the Indomitable is dominated <laughs> for, for, uh, <laughs> for you know, lack of a better term, and 
by a Sith Lord named Ula Keldroma. And Ula Keldroma, basically, instead of killing Mandalore because he had accepted his fate, he said, all right, well, instead of killing you, I'm going to have you work for me. Mm-hmm. So the Mandalorians during the Great Sith War helped out the Sith in attacking the Republic. Um, he ends up dying at the end of the Great Sith War on the planet Onderon. Well, technically Onderon's moon. But um, he ends up getting killed by these wild beasts on their moon. And another Mandalore, Mandalore the Ultimate, from the, uh, if anybody's familiar with Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, a lot of the backstory to that is the Mandalorian Wars and Mandalore the Ultimate. He picks up Mandalore's mask and he becomes the new Mandalore. So up until Candorous Ordo, that is the way Mandalores were chosen. After Candorous Ordo, it's not ever explained what happens to Mandalore's mask, but we presume it's either destroyed or lost forever. So the Mandalorians, and, and the, the thing with the expanded universe is the Mandalorian culture evolves over the years too. Mm-hmm. Mandalorians circa 4,000 BBY aren't the same as Mandalorians circa, you know, 25 ABY. And um, for those who don't know, that's before Battle of Yavin and after Battle of Yavin. That's the basic time keeping um, delineation for the Star Wars books and all of that extra stuff in Gubbins you don't get in the movies. Um, but so Mandalore's mask is lost and Mandalores are then chosen by their merit instead of by inheriting this mask. Um, Star Wars The Clone Wars comes in and introduces the concept of the Darksaber, which was created by some Mandalorian Jedi, which is an oxymoron in and of itself, which I will explain in a bit in context of the expanded universe. Um, Vizsla. How's Vizsla Mandalorian? Yes. Um, So she creates, or Tare Vizsla, which I believe was a she, correct me if I'm wrong, she creates the Darksaber, and that is now how Mandalores are chosen. So whoever gets the Darksaber is, you know, the new Mandalore. But the, the issue with that is that creates a problem where the Mandalorians now have to follow whoever has that dark saber. And what if you have a weak individual? Mm-hmm. Now, the Mandalorians in the expanded universe saw that, you know, all of these weak individuals inheriting Mandalore's mask, they kind of just said, you know, why don't we just choose our Mandalores based off, off of social and uh militaristic merit instead of you know who has the shiny thing and you know that goes into my next point which is mandalorians unlike in the new canon uh mandalorians are extremely trust distrustful of force users um they call them yeti or dar yeti which is jedi or not jedi for sith um their language is quite interesting but they are completely distrustful of force users. So when I saw Maul pick up the dark saber and all the Mandalorians in the Death Watch were like, hey, well, I guess we have to follow Maul now. That to me screamed problematic (laughs) because Mm -hmm. the Mandalorians have an extreme distrust of force users. Now they're, they're, I, I said that Tare Vizsla was kind of an oxymoron being a Mandalorian Jedi. There have been Jedi Mandalorians 
in the expanded universe, in the case of Barden Yusik, who mm-hmm. was a Jedi during the Clone Wars. He ends up hanging out with a bunch of Mandalorians in the Republic. I'm sorry, would you like to? Well, he was a Jedi first. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's, he that's was a Jedi. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He was a Jedi first, where he was hanging out with a lot of Mandalorians who were working in the Republic Special Forces Brigade, which was he was attached to because that's what his master, uh, General Arlegan Zay, was attached to. So he was hanging around them long enough to where he himself became disillusioned with the Jedi Order, and he left. He left the Jedi Order and ended up going with them. But even if you read Legacy of the Force, uh, it kind of picks up a little bit where that left off. After he leaves the Jedi Order and he becomes a Mandalorian, he has to hide his Force powers from the other Mandalorians because they're extreme again they're extremely distrustful force users so in order to not be outcasted by his own society that he adopted as his own he has to hide his old life and who he really is so and it which is kind of opposite of the case with Tare Vizsla who was a Mandalorian first who became a Jedi which that kind of conflicts with the whole Jedi thing because yeah. the mandalorians are all about uh, honor and battle and combat and the jedi are very much you know let's try to peacefully resolve this first and then we'll draw our lightsabers if we need to uh, even even the things that uh like the mandalorians are all about family as well yes uh, so the jedi would be like no attachments stop it yes uh, mandalorians <laughs> do create attachments and like i said um their idea of family isn't necessarily bound by blood is actually a a a tenant well not a tenant it's more of a mandalorian proverb uh, elite orishia taldin which is family is more than blood in mandoa and that's really that's echoed a lot through the expanded universe yeah uh i other than the republic commando novels uh my Probably my second favorite uh, string of novels is the Legacy of the Force era mm-hmm. uh, because you get to see Boba Fett and yeah. you get to see Myrta Gev, his granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they they train up Jaina Solo to go fight her brother because it's Anakin 2.0. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, right down to the hot one-armed wife. Um and you you get a a lot of really awesome Mandalorian uh, context fleshed out in that series as well, mm-hmm. uh, especially with uh, with the importance of the armor and and uh, what the family means. And uh, I I I I like a tenet of Star Wars being the importance and the the inner workings of what it means to be a family mm-hmm. um, and the that's one th- key tenant that makes mandalorians so important is because they're this culture that really fleshes out a a very different perspective uh of that tenant and that's something that I wrung my hands at the most whenever we had the old EU decanonized. I was like, but 
but Cal Scarada and, and <laughs> Waylon Vow and, and all the other Cuivaldar and the, and the, what, what about the Commando boys? Like, I, come on. <laughs> I want to see Etain Mercon and, and her, her sons. I, I, I want to see her son grow up. Right. No, nope, we never got that. We and, never got it, and we and, never and will. And now, so in sad. in canon, the only bit of Delta Squad we have is the what thirty second cameo they had in Star Wars: The Clone Wars. Yep, that's it. That's <laughs> and the other the other three didn't even speak because they probably didn't want to hire the other three voice actors. <laughs> <laughs> but what we are getting, and I think this is. I think this is a very soft appeasement to people like you and me is uh, the Bad Batch. Mm-hmm. I think what's going to happen in the Bad Batch is very similar to, well, not too similar, but similar enough to what happened with um, with Delta at the at the end of uh, Order the Order sixty six novel, um, where they see the Empire being what it is and. They they get out somehow, um, and they they have to figure out what kind of life they're going to forge for themselves. Mm-hmm. At least I hope that's what it's going to be. Um, to to kind of look back at these great novels that we have and say, okay, well, we kind of can't do anything with this, but what can we draw from it? Right. Now, what what can what can we make canon with an awesome group? of badass soldiers that we made for, for uh, the, the Clone Wars final hurrah. Um, because the, the response that the Bad Batch got was incredible. I, I, I think everybody loved the Bad Batch arc as far as I saw. So I, I think this is, uh, this is a really soft pitch mm-hmm. kind of appeasement to, to hardcore fans but i think it's going to be a good one regardless i see it's interesting you compare them to delta squad i see more in the case of the null arcs when looking at the bad batch because um the well, null arc troopers yeah they're they're definitely a lot more crazy than delta they're they're yeah i well, the i whole, I'm talking about like just storyline wise because we, right. start, we start off with Delta and, mm-hmm. and we get the Null boys trickling in as the books progress. So, um, well, we start we, off with Omega, then we get the Null boys, then Delta. Oh, right. I, I had it inverted. My, my D. <laughs> no, it's all right. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I, I think they're definitely more crazy, like the Null arcs. Well, even just their origins. So with the Bad Batch, as I understand, they are a batch of clones that went bad um, that weren't up to the Kaminoan standards. Now, in the Expanded Universe, we had something like that called the Null Arcs. They, these were the first generation of ARC troopers before the Alpha class ARC troopers, which are like Captain Fordo and Alpha 17 from the Republic Commando, com- uh, not excuse me, the Star Wars Republic comics. Um, but so the Nulls were 12 ARC troopers that uh, they didn't mentally meet because they, they were 
they were too unstable. They didn't meet with the Kaminoans' rigid expectations of what they wanted their product to be. So they said, all right, well, we're going to just terminate them because they're not up to product standards and we want to keep our standards high for our customer. And Cal Scarada basically pointed a knife at them and says, if you touch one hair on their head, you gray freak, I'm going to gut you like a fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and from and, that um, moment on, I loved Cal Scarada. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, he was such a great character. And so the the Nulls basically become kind of like his attack dog esque children that mm-hmm. only he can control, and that's why the Republic calls on him. But yes, it, it's a very interesting similarity. Yeah, they were they were his first uh, adoptees, if I if I remember right. Yep. That's where we got introduced to the rite of Guy Balmanda, which I explained earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, it's not just Hal Scarada, but we also get uh, Waylon Val. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, what is her name? The, the, the other Mandalorian, Kui Valdar. Rav Braller. Yeah, Rav Bra- uh, Is it Braller or Brailler? Um, I've always said Braller. That's how I've, that's how I read it. Uh, my friend Psalm Raptors is Braylor, which mm. sounds equally cool, but yeah. I'm not, un, I'm unfamiliar of the actual pronunciation of Rap her name. Braylor, Braylor yeah. does sound cool. Yeah, that's that's how I always read it. I believe but, there um, is a there are people in Clan Braylor in Swotor, so I don't know how they pronounce it in that game, but I digress. But uh, yeah, th- this is this is what. I, I think is the biggest missed opportunity by the new EU um, is stories like these. Mm-hmm. Instead, we, we we get a rock. <laughs> we get we get a rock, and his name is Rock. <laughs> I thought his name was Geode, which is a which synonym, is a rock, which is a synonym for rock. Now, I I can't. I will. I'm going to be the first one. I won't be the first one to admit it, but I, being an Expanded Universe fan, I can't really say anything because we had the Singing Mountain from the Ewoks cartoons, and then we had yes. Waru. So, See, not, not a lot of people know about the Ewoks cartoons or the droids no. cartoon. Well, that, that's, a, that's one of the things I was saying in my, um, in, on my other channel, my Captain Fordo channel. I did a, um, a video called... Uh, the truth about the Star Wars expanded universe. And in it, I explained that if half of these EU haters actually read any of it, they'd find a lot more to actually hate than they, mm-hmm. than they claim. <laughs> but we in the community are kind of like, a, Shh, don't let the haters know, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they'll just try to use it against us, but they'll fail anyway. <laughs> I, I actually had, so I, I go on, runs every now and then and uh i my my mind plays for me little movies mm-hmm. and it i i had i had this situation run through my head where i'm speaking mandoa with other huge star wars people that that mm-hmm. know the the language and there there would have been somebody that came up to us saying oh my gosh you're appropriating this language (laughs) (laughs) what are you doing stealing this culture i'm like you don't know what mandoa is do you (laughs) yeah 
don't know Mandalorians are, do you? <laughs> you kind of can't do that because anybody no. can be a Mandalorian. That's the beauty. That's one of the things that makes being a Mandalorian so beautiful. On Mandalore, anybody... the on Mandalore, the culture appropriates you. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, oh my goodness. But uh, I would be hard pressed to find there are there definitely are people that can speak more Mandoa than I can. I can just, as I've demonstrated throughout this podcast, I can spout out a few phrases here and there, but I can't have a full-on conversation. I, I've always labored over the pronunciation of, I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but you're, you're going to know what, what I'm talking about. Arutisi? Arutise. Arutise, okay. Yeah. At least that's how I say it. I could also be saying it wrong. Yeah, because any 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 time that I, I run up against somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about, <laughs> Arutise. Arutise. Yeah, uh, it's funny on my on my Discord channel for the non Mandalore related stuff. I have a, you know, I have like stuff where you could talk about the the Disney canon stuff, and I label that the Arutise corner. <laughs> I love oh. it. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, one one of the things that I wanted to dive into um, on a on a later date, be, because it's it's a massive topic in and of itself, is the importance of the languages, mm-hmm. um, and not just in Star Wars, but I- any major property you run across, um, you you'd have that with star wars and you have all the ones in star trek mm-hmm. uh stargate make, makes a huge deal of the language um even uh tolkien good good old, good old tolkien he 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 wrote the lord of the rings mm-hmm. novels around the languages oh he was a linguist <laughs> yes so that yeah exactly and that was the case where he had the languages thought out first and then he made the stories. Mm-hmm. Whereas in all these other properties, the stories were there first and then, you know, the language was created after. Interesting thing about Tolkien, he, he utilized two main things for the creation of the Lord of the Rings franchise that I think translate very well to uh, Star Wars. One of them being what we just said about the language, but also his outlook on the progression of time and the outlook on history. Mm-hmm. Because in Lord of the Rings, the thing that is venerated is all of the the great kings of old and the in the great cultures and in nations that used to be that that birthed to what is now. Mm-hmm. Um like uh the 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 Noldor elves and in uh, the the great ancient kings of Gondor that that and all, all of these. So he he would say that each current each age is just a little bit shittier than the one that came before it. Mm-hmm. And the magic decreases as a factor of time, and that's why the elves ultimately leave Middle Earth to go back to Valinor. Yes, because they're like, oh well. There's no magic here left. Let's go back to Valinor, where there's plenty of magic. Now, translate this over to Star Wars terms. And you can look at it through a couple of different lenses. 
you can look at it through uh, what we see in either the old EU versus the new EU, where we had a whole bunch of really great stuff. We had a tiny bit of not so great stuff, but like you said, we're not going to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) And we, we saw the progression of time and we, we had stuff from like four to 10,000 years prior where we had uh, people running around like Naga Sadao and uh, the, the Sith triumvirate and Revan and Malak and, oh, they were really cool. And you had Mandalore, the indomitable and the, all, all the different names, the great, the ultimate. Yeah, um, there's tons of them. Uh, and, and then we, you go back even further and you have the Tong versus the, the Zell uh, and, and how in the, the, the Warriors of Shadow poem mm-hmm. uh, come about and, and you get the explanation behind the gods of, of, the, of the Tong and the, the Mandalorians and uh, the, the Mythosaurs and everything. And then you scroll all the way down to, say, Clone Wars era. Mm-hmm. And it's it's whittled down to well, okay. I mean, there's the Republic, there's the CIS, Hut Space is out there. Uh, we're not really paying attention to the unknown regions right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that comes but, back to bite them in the butt. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, in a, in a huge way, in a huge right. way. But in in the in the books, the books kind of throw that outlook on time a little bit out the window because we get we get knockout after knockout right we we mm-hmm. we get the kamas crisis we we get uh the x-wing series and everything that comes in that right mm-hmm. the uh the back to war uh, with hasani isard and in the hunt for warlord zinj um we get the kamas crisis we get uh, the the Thrawn campaign, then uh, the Vong War. We get all of these just hitting them out of the park. Mm-hmm. So I I don't think that with Star with Star Wars the the outlook on history in Tolkien's regard might be a little bit inverted. Right. Uh, it, we have really awesome stuff back in ancient republic days um but as we get closer to uh zero bby and the the subsequent material it gets really awesome Mm -hmm. it gets so much cooler (laughs) um but like i said that's with the old eu uh with this new eu we still have a long way to go we have a lot more to experience um, the whole the old Republic era in the EU still and not the EU excuse me in the new Disney canon still isn't even really explored yet. Nope. I mean there are people that sur- surmise that Knights of the Old Republic are are fit into both, but I don't know how true that is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but um, that that aside, the what you were saying earlier with um, how we don't have that same delineate historical delineation like with tolkien's work i believe that has something to do with being a product of you know the post endor era and the the 
original trilogy era, those for the longest time, those were the only eras allowed to be explored by the expanded universe authors. George Lucas said, I'm going to do prequels at some point. So you're not allowed to touch what happens before, you know. And of course, there are some bits in the novels, like in Thrawn, mm-hmm. where there's they do some extrapolation where they kind of infer what happens. And that's when you get some continuity errors for their characters saying, like, oh yeah, the Clone Wars, didn't that, those happen like 70 years ago? That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking of, where, where he finds all the Sparty uh, cloning tubes, mm-hmm. and uh, and Han Solo's, I, I think he drops some sort of line about, oh, like they had him back in the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that was a good was impression, like, by the way. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> so I was like, oh no. they oh, Dang it, Timothy. Why'd you have to do this, son? Come on. Well, he actually writes a sorry, quick side note. Um, mm. he actually writes a short story about that that takes place during the Clone Wars, where um, oh. on this planet called Carteo, um there's this huge war and the Republic ends up winning, like it's a Firic victory, but um with the spoils of war on Carteo, they find these super advanced Spartai cloning cylinders. And Palpatine, he's chancellor at this point, ends up taking those and um, he hides some of them away on his storage facility on Mount Mount Tantus in Wayland. But he also puts some on one of the moons of Coruscant. Mm -hmm. And he uses those to actually churn out more clone troopers faster than they can churn them out on Kamino. That way they can end the war faster. So that was what was great about the expanded universe where yeah, these authors made these mistakes, but back, but then when the prequels happened and they were now allowed to go into that era and explore it, they were able to take some of their old stories like Zahn did and make it so, oh, they actually work now, you mm-hmm. know? And to be fair to the uh, old EU authors, in my opinion, they worked really well together, even even though... There were a few retcons here and there, which, I mean, we overall forgive. But Karen Travis touches on the uh, uh, Sparty um, cloning tubes in, on Coruscant's moon because Cal Scarada and uh, Arligan Zay are like, where are all these clones and acclimators coming from? Yeah. <laughs> where, <laughs> Papa Palps, where are you pulling all this out of, man? Like, right. Because uh, this brand new army shows the hell up out of nowhere, and they're like, "Huh, I'm part of the Kuivaldar. I'm I trained all these boys. I don't remember seeing these guys. <laughs> yeah, where where are these guys come from? And they notice all of these differences in the Karen Travis novels because the the I can't remember who it was if it was Delta or or Omega, but so, some of the some of our beloved clone boys they start noticing all of these differences mm-hmm. and they, they ask all of these new guys some questions like, is yeah, it raining on a, Camino? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking How's the weather on of. Camino? Cause it's like, always raining. And they're like, Oh, there's no rain. What are you talking about? And they're like, no, 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 something's fishy. <laughs> Don't trust these guys at all. Yep. Uh, wh- and wh- what did, what did they call, uh, Camino and say they call them some kind of fish head in Mandoa. Oh, I can't remember the actual literal 
term. They, they, they called them fish bait, I think, in, in Mandoa. A Iowa bait. Oh, Iowa, Awati, something like that. I can't remember what the Mandoa word for it, but they called them Iowa bait. When the mm-hmm. Iowas were the flappy things in mm-hmm. Star Wars Episode Two: Attack the Clones. Yes, this is the kind of uh, quality content you can experience on Mandalore. Um, <laughs> the flappy things. Which, which I highly encourage everyone <laughs> to go and do. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I am more descriptive than flappy things. I'm just, I don't have a script in front of me right now. <laughs> you, should do, you should do that in one of your next videos. Just refer to something as flappy things. I could do a whole video unscripted, but it'll be very wrong and very off the cuff. <laughs> <laughs> so out of out of nowhere. Oh, it'd be great. Come on, man. At some point in either 60 or 70 BBY, I can't remember. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> but no, um I lost my train of thought. It's it's okay. We've we've bounced around so much. Oh, I I've I caught it back. Um if you're interested in you know, finding out what happened with the Spartai cylinders and want that extra bit of strap extrapolation, look up Heroes of Carteo. It was a short story by Timothy Zahn in the um, Star Wars Insider magazine issues, which are probably in that new Star Wars Insider magazine collection. Speaking of Timothy Zahn, mm-hmm. I loved the, the Ridge Tridge Thrawn novels that started mm-hmm. coming out in 91. So when he wrote these new Thrawn books, I was ecstatic. I thought they were going to be amazing. And then I read them. And I figured out real quick, oh, well, he's written into a corner with Thrawn's character in, in how he ends up in Rebels. Mm-hmm. Because old EU Thrawn could take over most of the galaxy and bring it to heel with what a fleet of six star destroyers he was rolling around with with the chimera oh he had a couple dreadnoughts too after the fact but yeah he he (laughs) then he then got some dreadnoughts because he got support from some of the other warlords he also Um, stole some new republic ships at um mm -hmm. At, uh, it, wasn't was it, it Borlaeus? I can't remember what the name a, of the planet was. Is either Borlaeus or Kuat? With the mole miners. Yes. Uh, yeah. So he he did that, which was really stinking cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was able to, to blockade Coruscant with the threat of invisible asteroids. <laughs> uh, and he found the Katana fleet. And he, he had all of these really like souped up mega bond villain moments going on and super genius big boss brain in the rebels he can't even hold a planet really (laughs) yeah i mean what come on he can't what why (laughs) he was able to to do so many things and and be such an incredible genius unbeatable if he didn't get but uh, if he didn't get assassinated by rook he would have destroyed the new republic quite possibly yes but we're gonna we're gonna water this amazing genius down to 
he can't control a planet because we have this young Jedi kid who's got plot armor thicker than Goku. <laughs> that's, that's it. Plot armor. That's oh yeah, oh yeah. But uh, because of the Mandalorian now, he is alive. I don't. I don't know how he's alive. Uh, he, they were going he's... to try to keep him alive, anyways, because I thought somebody had told me that the new Thrawn books are actually um, like they can fit in with the Thrawn trilogy. Like they're written in a way to so that it wouldn't interfere and that it would still allow the the uh, you know heir of the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and Last Command to still exist. Is there any uh, truth to that? I've not. I have not read them. No. So hmm. the a reason that the heir to the empire, uh, a Ridge Tridge Thrawn trilogy can't work is because in the aftermath trilogy. Now, granted, Thrawn came came. Uh, what what was it B uh, what was it A B Y where he shows up? It's around nine A B Y. Nine A B Y. Okay, which so which is like a year a year. Uh, no, it's like what three five years after Endor. Okay, so the aftermath trilogy takes place one year after Endor, mm-hmm. and immediately after they win at the Battle of Jakku, and uh, Gallius Rax takes the rest of the fleet off into the unknown regions to build the First Order with Papa Palps. Um, Mon Mothma begins to demilitarize the New Republic at, on a grand scale. Oh, my. So, yeah, every everything is being stripped down. It sounds like and the exact opposite of the way it was in the expanded universe. Stinking <laughs> much. In the EU, they were fighting the Empire for a good, they fought the Empire for a good 20 years. It wasn't until 20, mm-hmm. yeah, 20 ABY that the Paleon Garrisham Treaty was signed. Yep. And they didn't just have the Empire to contend with. Nope, they, they had They had hut space, they had the corporate sector, they had a, the Hapens. They, they had all of these different, and, and then they had to deal with uh, the, the Pirellian alliance of, mm-hmm. of planets that went rogue. So, no, you're, you're right. In the old EU, th- there's no way in hell they could have demilitarized, but Mon Mothma did it in the new EU. So, Heir of the Empire couldn't happen because huh. if, it, if it did and Thrawn comes back in a new Heir of the Empire-esque novel series, he's going to bulldoze over everything. So... I, I say there's absolutely no way it could happen. Huh. Um, now, the, the new books, it, trust me, I still enjoy Timothy Zahn's writing, but they are a pale shadow of what the old Thrawn books were. Really? And I believe it is that way because he can't, he can't make Thrawn greater than what Thrawn is in either Rebels or whatever we're going to get in the live action series of 
Mandalorian or Book of Boba or a movie down the line um, because Ahsoka name drops him in, in that one really cool samurai <laughs> Western episode. Um, so he's, he's got those, he's got those golden handcuffs, right? He, he can write about one of the greatest star Wars EU characters of all time, but he can't really do much with him. Would you say that new EU Thrawn is the same as the old EU Thrawn? 100% no. Really? Mm. That is quite contrary to what people have told me. They make him really smart. They they make him really smart, very capable. Um, Other than, of course, the physical differences, like the fact that he has pupils, which I never really got. <laughs> yeah, because in the books, the the first description was his piercing, glowing, pupilless eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it says it right in the first line when it's describing him. And that's supposed to be the chiss as a species, right? Um, really stinking cool character feature. <laughs> kind of <laughs> just right away. I'm like, man, I gotta do my boy like this. Um, but no, he's he's nowhere near on the level of intellect of old EU Thrawn. Um, they still give him a appreciation for art, artistry, and how he uses that to think like his enemies, but not necessarily outwit them. Hmm. Be, because you you remember the the mark. The, the maneuver he pulls with the Marg Sable. Yeah. And how he uh, he, he totally decimates a, a greater amount of ships than what he has. Because mm-hmm. he learned him. that the, the Elo Min were commanding that New Republic task force. Right. And he knew from Elo Min art that they can't handle sudden drastic changes in uh, tactics. Like they couldn't handle non-by-the-book things. So he did something completely outside of the box. Right. New EU Thrawn, I don't see being able to pull that kind of stuff off at all. Uh, I I see him being a good dirt general. That's kind of it. They have him commanding ground forces? In Rebels, yes. That seems highly unusual for an admiral, but all right. Right, like, <laughs> like you have generals, you you have commanders who can do that for you. Yeah, so, like General Veers. Yeah, and all that. He he has he has people. Send Pelion if you're gonna send a a fleet officer. Like mm-hmm. he's he's a captain. That's another thing that rubbed me super wrong about Rebels was they they mentioned Pelion and he's only off screen in. And he dies. I'm pretty sure he dies. Really? To space whales. Yep. Ah. Uh, oh, that's another. That's another. Pelion's great. Inconsistency. He's one of the most important characters in the expanded universe. He becomes like the last leader of the Empire after they're done having their uh, little internal squabbles. Well, basically, after Dallas is done killing all the warlords. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you guys don't want to work together here. Let's uh, let's go into this room, and I'm just gonna lock the door here. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's some dioxys gas. And don't uh, don't, don't mind me. 
Yeah, don't mind me putting on this mask. Uh, um, <laughs> oh, what's this? Uh, this is nothing. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I, I like to hate Natasi Dalla because that's what she was written like. You yeah. want it, fans love to hate her, and that's you know, I, I that's her archetype. I especially hated her whenever they made her chief of state of the GA. I was like, why, why, why her? What, what are y'all thinking? <laughs> you have so many other better choices. Why a, why a imperial warlord who? She just screws everything up. I don't, I don't understand. Alien didn't die during the Second Galactic Civil War. Maybe he would have been, but he's also ninety, so I don't think yeah, that was. He was old. pretty stinking old, anyway. He was the last great. Uh, he was the last Grand Admiral. Yes, and he was he was the last great uh, Imperial leader, in my opinion, until uh, Jag fell. Mm-hmm. And I I really like that they turn the Imperial remnant into the Fell Empire. Yes, with the um, Imperial Knights, that would have been. I would have loved to have seen more of that. Again, to those who are who are listening and might not know much about the expanded universe, there is a gap in between where it, where it kind of ends, sort it's of. About, it's about and a hundred years, give or take. Yeah, it's like a hundred year gap, and then so like the main like Endor post Endor period ends around like forty one, forty two ish years after the Battle of Yavin, and then there's a comic series that came out in two thousand seven called Legacy which jumps forward like 100 years and it's what the galaxy looks like in the wake of luke skywalker uh han and leia organa solo and all the other characters great 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 grandchildren it's it's really quite cool and you know we don't get anything to fill those gaps in see to me that's where um these new Disney Star Wars novels should have been taking place. It's not a hundred years ago. It helped fill in the gaps. Make mm-hmm. make the legacy comics canon. Well, I, I guess you can't. No. You can't because we don't have Mara Jade. You So there would be no Cade Skywalker because I unless he was a uh, unless he was a descendant of Ray Skywalker. I hate I hate it. No. I'm hate sorry it so for much. even suggesting it, but that's the only way they could make it work. So ruffled. I'm so ruffled because we can't have nice things. <laughs> well, I'm of the persuasion. Now, my stance on the expanded universe has changed over the years. Uh, when it was first decanonized, I was understandably, and um, as most fans probably were, uh, a little cheesed off that they did that. Yep. And I was in the mindset of, you know, I'm not, I don't like this, like this isn't my Star Wars, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to digest any of the new media. I still haven't digested any of the new media, but I have, it's, I have a different outlook on it than I did before where before I was being petty and now 
I just see how some of the things have been handled in the, in the new expanded universe, like the uh, the <laughs> you mentioned aftermath by Chuck Wendig. That is probably the most poorly written novel, let alone Star Wars novel. I have ever, I've only read uh, two pages of it. I will fully admit I've only read two pages of it, but of those two pages, the entire time I was thinking, did nobody edit this book before they published it? <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, plot stuff aside, there were so many grammatical errors and he, he writes in run-on sentences that I was just baffled that this was published. Did they not have like a screening process? Did they not have editors? But so I've been seeing how things like that and, you know, were handled in the the new canon. And I'm sitting here thinking, unless they bring back all of the old authors to continue writing again, I don't want them to touch the expanded universe. I'd rather them leave it straight the hell alone. And I'll just enjoy I'll enjoy it like a picture on the wall, like a Renaissance painting. Like, you know, that artist is dead. I will not get any more paintings from that artist, but I can still put it on my wall and appreciate that artist. You know, that's how I view the expanded universe now. Uh, When I was younger, I was all gung-ho about um, getting the expanded universe continued and, Mm -hmm. you know, fighting for this what I didn't know at the time was a lost cause. I'm sure I knew it in my in my frontal lobe, but in my back part of my brain, I was just like, come on, there's going to be hope, you know? But now I'm like, I don't want them to touch it. I don't want them to touch it at all. I don't no. want them, you know? And everything I disliked about what they were doing with the expanded universe, which was everything that was coming out with Star Wars The Clone Wars which was the, the changes they were making that con- that contradicted not only the, the novels and comics and video games, but sometimes even the films themselves. Mm. Like um, you'll watch episode three and Anakin and Count Dooku will be like, oh, you know, you know, I'll, I'll beat you this time, Count. You know, my powers have doubled since the last time we met, inferring that the last time they met was, uh, you know, the Battle Attack of Geonosis of and Attack yeah. of the Clones. Where in Clone Wars, they fight so often, it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, do you mean like last Tuesday? <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but a lot of what the, my reason for not going into the new canon, like I've digested some, I, I watched Rogue One, but my reason for not digesting most of this material is because it, I know it's based off of everything I disliked that they were doing to, to the expanded universe before they decanonized it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, say, say what you want about Ahsoka. I mean, she's like a, she's, she does have redeeming qualities. I just like how they insert her into everything. And I dislike how the franchise has basically become all about her. And, you know, I don't want that to happen with the expanded universe. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much of the mindset of if you're going to bring back elements that we enjoyed from the old EU, do exactly that. Don't try and don't, don't try, don't try it. Don't, don't try it. Don't try it, Anakin. Seriously. Don't try putting your own spin on it. Um, I'll, I'll give you three of my biggest hang-up examples. 
in the I ha, have you read the Allegiance novel where it follows those squad of stormtroopers as they have to defect from the Empire and they become the hand of judgment. They seal an ISB ship. And they have like all they they have to live on the run now. Right. Yes, I have. Okay. Look what we got. We got Finn. Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of the same. Wildly different, but kind of the same starting point. I was told where... that Finn is probably the best part about the sequel trilogy. It's like he's the only likable character, really. And, I've been told. And, and they don't do anything with him. Really? They, they make him scream Ray like 20 times, and that's kind of it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I thought I was in the Frieza arc of DBZ for a half second because it's just for it. <laughs> I was watching in Yasha where they, they were just screaming each other's names for a while. Um, but we, I, we have this example with the Allegiance novel, right? Uh, we, we see that story played out. And then we see Finn, who's an ex-stormtrooper. He's on the run. I was, I was thinking, okay, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. And then they throw all of these other components and stories at us at the same time. They, they really make you forget that Finn is an ex-stormtrooper until they bring it up every now and then. It's like, yeah, it was a stormtrooper. And everybody's cool with that. Nobody was like, you slaughtered people. <laughs> you, you, and he, he's never like, no, 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 I, didn't, I never did that. Um, that's example number one. Number two, the overall series was a really bad trans, at least to me, it, this, I don't think they did this on purpose, was a really bad translation to, to the big screen of the Dark Empire comics. If you're going to do Dark Empire, just stink and do Dark Empire. Mm-hmm. Please don't convolute it and... I, I know that's not what they were trying to do because they had so many cooks in the kitchen that nobody, everyone was trying to make a meal. Nobody was deciding on the recipe. Right. Um, so they, they couldn't have done Dark Empire if they tried, which they just should have. And I'm so perfect. Uh, third example was, um, oh, dang it. I've lost my third example because I'm so irked. Eh, it'll, it'll. I'm sorry. It'll, no, you're fine. It will come back to me <laughs> at some point. But no, you're right. Um, whenever they're touching on EU stuff to try and adapt them to the new EU, it never works. Mm-hmm. Almost never. Or it's just a a pale comparison. Mm-hmm. And you know. That's when I see like comments online where it's like, oh, you know, please make so and so canon, make this canon. Just like, why do you want to see them butchered? You know, <laughs> and I, you know, I like again, I, I haven't digested much new canon material because, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna trash the Disney canon because, hey, I've only seen Rogue One, so I can't really trash the whole thing, but. You know, I'm just interested in the expanded universe. Even though I've read a lot of stuff, there's still some things like some novels that I haven't read and more things that I want to dive into. So I have no interest in the new canon. 
I'm still exploring this old universe that's 40 years old. Mm-hmm. Now, my problem that I found while watching Rogue One, and Rogue One was kind of an experiment for me to see if I could watch the new canon books and like like digest new canon material and be able to enjoy it from a non-subjective viewpoint. And I discovered that I can't. <laughs> and well, it's I'm I'm kind of frustrated in a way because like I want to see some of these movies just for the sake of you know it's got the Star Wars name on it I might as well see it everybody says oh it's Star Wars why don't you see it you know mm-hmm. um, but while watching Rogue One I found that I could not separate my brain viewing this as just a a regular movie to viewing this as a piece of Star Wars. So um, I took notes during the movie because, again, this is more of an experiment for me where every time I saw an inconsistency or something that bugged me, I wrote it down. That was my kind of therapy for watching the movie. And I've got about three pages (laughs) of stuff. (laughs) Um, All single space. (laughs) (laughs) But just on some engineering graph paper I grabbed from work and I just scribbled it on there, but... Um, I couldn't separate viewing it from a from a Star Wars in-universe perspective. Um, like I was noticing things that didn't make sense. Like we go to Jen, Jen Erso's home world and it's this, like there's like, it almost looks like Ireland. There's like peat bogs and there's like crashing waves and it's like misty and there's cloud, like overcast. And they've got moisture evaporators on their homestead. Why do you need moisture evaporators on a planet with plenty of water? There's grass. There's plenty of water. <laughs> that grass has to be drinking something. Um, and then there were things that I could, you know, think like with the lightsaber crystals and how the Death Star ran off of lightsaber crystals. I'm like, that's not how the Death Star works. <laughs> but the greatest travesty was they didn't follow the actual rules of Star Wars. I didn't follow like the, the the Star Wars laws of physics, if you will. Mm-hmm. So when they're escaping Jeddah as the Death Star is blowing it up, they end up going to hyperspace while they're still in the planet's atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And e- even, even some Disney canon material, like with Star Wars Rebels, they have the interdictor cruisers. It's established in their in, in their own canon that you cannot revert to hyperspace while you're in the atmosphere of another planet. Because the Nava computer, the Nava computer calculates that as a mass shadow, and they mm-hmm. it will not engage the hyperdrive to go because it thinks that you're like in the you're going to hit something. And Han Solo even explains it in A New Hope. So the to kind of close that thought, um, I tried, I tried yeah. to view it objectively, and I couldn't, and I wish I could, and. I'm sure I would have enjoyed it more if I could, but I can't. I can't separate my knowledge of Star Wars and view view it objectively. Yeah, and that's why I haven't gone ahead and watched any of the rest of the movies or the shows because I'm afraid I'm just going to sit there hating it the entire time, like I did Rogue <laughs> One. And that's not that's not fair. It's not fair to me. It's not fair to the show because my brain can't, you know do that so it's like i want to watch the mandalorian i really do all i've wanted when i was since i was a kid reading the republic commando novels was have a live action star wars tv show about mandalorians we've got one and i don't want to watch it and it's killing me (laughs) (laughs) 
No, uh, up until the Mandalorian, and I'll 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 tell you. And you're right; it's not like dusting crops, boy. <laughs> um, until we got the Mandalorian, I would have argued Rogue One was the best live action adaptation of the of the new Star Wars that we've had. And if you hated Rogue One, then oh boy, because. <laughs> It, the fir- the very first thing they do, the very first thing they do in Rise of Skywalker is a thing called hyperspace skipping. How does that work? They literally just continuously hop from one point in space to another through hyperspace. And they not only do they do that, but they do it in atmosphere and they hop to other points that are also in atmosphere, not like oh they they hit the mass shadow and they draw and that pulls them out of hyperspace no no they bypass the mass shadow and go into the planet like they're they're flying around in the planet's atmosphere not only does the millennium falcon do that but the tie fighters that are following them also do that tie fighters don't have hyperdrives no they don't unless they're like the tie advanced or I think the Tie Defender has an hyper has a hyperdrive. I don't remember correctly. Yes, it does. Uh, there are very few Tie models that have hyper that have hyperdrives, inertia dampeners, or the shields required to to not only travel through hyperspace but to also come out of hyperspace and immediately hit atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So. I, I think your mind would explode <laughs> watching the sequel trilogy. Oh, no. Now, I would say watching The Mandalorian would be safe. I think it's the safest thing for people like you mm-hmm. because it has probably the least amount of inconsistencies. And where there are inconsistencies, those are kind of neatly explained away later. Mm-hmm. And they also throw in some really cool things like uh, there's a there's a Gazanti class cruiser mm-hmm. or, or uh, what is the Gazanti? It's a it's a cruiser or a frigate. I don't think it's a frigate. I think it's a cruiser. But um, I know they carry Tie Fighters and Rebels. Yeah, but we we get to we get to see one live action, and mm-hmm. in one of the episodes, I was like, oh, this is so cool! But we actually get to see like the exterior design and uh, we, we get to go inside it and in, in like they show a layout of, of it. And uh, hmm. while they're making their plans to, to deal with it, like things like that make the, it, all of the pitfalls in the Mandalorian, which there are very few more than worth the watch. Mm-hmm. Um. So I I completely understand as a diehard purebred Star Wars fan that you are not wanting to subject yourself to the to the just travesty uh, that <laughs> that the uh, that the Disney Star Wars has has given us thus far, and there have been some good things on the whole it's been a travesty and that's why i make an effort not to trash it because oh i don't (laughs) 
Well, you've digested the you've digested the material. I have not. It is unfair for me to say the new Disney Star Wars is bad. Gotcha. So that's why in you know for people who are interested in checking my channel out, I don't talk about Disney Star Wars at all. I'm not I'm not critical towards it. I don't say anything bad about it. So you're safe. All I talk about is the expanded universe. So because that's all I know. You know, I don't go, I, I make a best effort not to go bashing the new stuff because it's well, unfair. I'll, I'll, I'll bash it. I'll bash it all day. <laughs> I'll, I'll lead the charge to Capital Riot 2.0 if it's, in, if it's at the doorstep of Lucasfilm. <laughs> oh, geez. But yeah, that, that's my, that's my whole spiel on it. Like, mm. I'm, I'm sure there's some great stories just like I don't want somebody who's only been exposed to the Disney canon I don't want them to you know say the EU is garbage if they've never seen it or if they've only they've only read about like oh you know there's Waru and there's then there's Jackson and um oh one time there's Skippy the Jedi droid which was never canon it was <laughs> never <laughs> canon can we, can, we, can we drop Skippy because it was never canon but um I, who's who's that rabbit rabbit that, uh, is jackson who yeah, jackson. was just yeah he's from the original marvel comics run which came out mm-hmm. in the 70s which explained that's where a lot of the weird stuff in star wars actually comes from in the expanded universes from those marvel comics because marvel comics well and they were also made in 77 back before like you know uh, excuse me empire strikes back came out i almost said a new hope i'm like no no it was after new hope <laughs> it wouldn't exist if it was before new hope but well i i don't think dark horse was even around back then was it no that's why marvel had to, had it but you had mm-hmm. marvel and dc back then i don't know if you had any others or well, dc was something else wasn't it wasn't it like a american something it probably was something else what was superman I- published under um i'm not a big superhero guy so i don't know this stuff well i i i am but i don't i don't know the inner workings of the of the real world history oh. uh, as as well as uh some of some of my bro chachos do <laughs> and i i know they they're going to be listening to this and screaming at their phone <laughs> <laughs> sorry Oh no, because especially one of them who's a big uh, uh, character character and in, in figurine collector, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm I'm gonna get lambasted for calling them figurines. Um, <laughs> They're action he, figures. <laughs> he he'll message me on Facebook about things happening in my episodes. <laughs> like I called his opinion garbage at one point, and he. He messaged me at two in the morning. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, so I, I I know I'll get correction on that in a day or so. Like, um, well, let me know because I I would like to know the answer to that. But back on the main subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, Marvel Comics did some really weird stuff, but I. And you're right. It's because it's because we only had a new hope to go off of. But I also think it's because it was Marvel Comics, and that's kind of their shtick. <laughs> I mean, like, if you look at the old um, Guardians of the Galaxy comics, they're very similar to the old Star Wars Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. 
I, yeah. what, when I was, so I reread them recently on um, a website that I use to read comics. And uh, I noticed like, wow, even the art style looks very similar to Guardians of the Galaxy. The very few issues I've read of that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I, th- I think you're right in that um, those of us who have consumed both the old EU religiously and mm-hmm. have uh, absolutely ripped a new one into the new Disney Star Wars. Um, I I think you're right in that it is still kind of in its infancy Mm -hmm. because the old stuff we had for almost 40 years and the new stuff we're still just now kind of getting. We we are getting a good bit of it in Mm -hmm. in terms of relativity, right? Um, But we haven't gotten enough, I don't think, to to accurately hold it up against the old EU. Because if we do, the old EU is going to win every time, no no matter how you look at it. So it's not a fair fight. And again, but then again, on the other side of things, they're so drastically different. It's almost comparing an apple to an orange at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you're right, but it's also going to be the closest comparison that we're going to be able to get because Aside from comparing it to any anything else like Battlestar or Farscape or Stargate, mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to have so many things that you have to be kind to in terms of, well, we have to kind of let this slide because you have this kind of silliness happening over here with whatever you're comparing it to. But if you use the old EU versus the new EU, you don't have to do that as much. You still do, <laughs> but there's a lot less that you have to forgive. Um, and there's a lot more that you can directly compare. Hmm. So it's, it's going to be the closest thing we have to an accurate judge of what is quality content. My view of quality content is if it's if it's at least well written, it's got well rounded characters that aren't just inserted for the sake of just having a character like that. Um, I think it has a chance, you know. I remembered my third thing. Do you remember your third thing? I remember the third thing. All right. let's let's loop back around (laughs) so timothy i warned you this would happen um at at least we haven't finished recording yet so there you go yeah um yeah give it a minute Uh, (laughs) so (laughs) timothy zahn is able to enthrall us with characters like thrawn and captain pelion Mm -hmm. in one book in mara jade Oh yeah, Marjade. Uh, we we had Talon Card in a previous novel, but I didn't get introduced to him until this novel. Um, we we had him. Oh, is Talon elsewhere. Card in the new canon? No, no, no. Oh, that's that's. I'm I'm just listing off the the characters that we got in uh, in Heir to the Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, so we 
we had a we had a novel where I knew none of these people. They're all brand new to to most readers. And then we had Chuck Wendig's Aftermath book. Mm-hmm. Very first book. He didn't make me care about who Gallius Rax was at all. Uh, <laughs> I didn't care about who Ray Sloan was at all. <laughs> um, I, I knew where things were leading uh, up until the first order, but that doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter because Mandalorian... Look at the Mandalorian. Everybody loves it. Everybody hates this. The people that love it hate the sequels, but they still love the Mandalorian, but it's leading up to the sequels. So why don't you hate the Mandalorian too? Well, because it is giving us all of this new awesome stuff to love and appreciate and to make connections with. And it does it well. Mm-hmm. It's well-written. It's, it's like says, well-rounded. It, 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 there are consequences. Uh, our, our character's, get hurt uh they they have to face like some real stuff uh and and it's authentic there's little plot armor uh the the only plot armor here is beskar all right um so that 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 was that was pretty much my third thing was the, the the comparisons on the old EU versus the, the new stuff um, and where they're failing. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say I don't want them to write new books. I definitely want them to write new books. I just want them to stop being crap. Well, then get the old authors to write for you then. Get back well, Troy Denning, get back Karen Travis, get back Aaron Alston, get back Kevin J. Anderson. And they really should, but I don't think they will. I, I don't. We're, oh, we're... Kevin Kevin J. Anderson is enjoying a lot of Dune revenue right now, especially with the new movie coming out. So, <laughs> yep. And I don't. I don't blame. I don't. I don't, I don't blame, blame him, him one bit. <laughs> but and I I don't understand how they can look at the authors that gave us what we had and say, "No, nah, we're we're not going to reach out to these people. We're going to go with." Um, well, what's her name? Justine Ireland. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that's her name. She's is she the one, one of, who is she the one who told everybody not to read the 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 um excuse yep. me the why am I why am I failing at the name the one with the rock that just came out. Yep, High Republic. High the, Republic. The I almost said I almost said New Republic, but I know that's completely different. No, we we have to have authors like her <laughs> that tell us not to read star wars we we have to have authors like her who um who go on twitter and and uh repeatedly racially bash white men and i i don't know if you're familiar but guess what the majority readership is of star wars content is white fellas. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just what it is. Um, so yeah, that's that's what we're dealing with. That's what we got. And I don't know why we have it. I don't see the wisdom in it. I, I don't see the profit of it. 
Um, and I, I don't see how it is a betterment to the overall narrative and theme of what Star Wars is. When you have, I've had this in a conversation with some of my friends, when you have a franchise go from being in the franchise owner's hands to going to a company, you kind of lose some of that humanity and things just kind of come become about profits and about um representation and just making sure that you shit out enough things and make them make it decent enough that people will buy it mm-hmm. whereas with with expanded universe a lot of the writers were star wars fans and that really helps to be a fan of the franchise that you're writing for you know and they were they were creating this universe and they had a massive respect for the authors that came before them and they made sure not to like trample over of course there was some like you said there was some retcons but towards the end of the like towards like the 90s that's when the they had a continuity department headed by sue ross stoney and she would make sure everything was consistent along with the novels and the comics and the video games. And then you started getting authors like James Lucino, who kind of tied all the comics and novels and the video games together towards the end of things. And, you know, these were all people who loved Star Wars that were writing because they were Star Wars fans. And their contributions to this universe were, were considered canon. And they were, you know, they were taken as part of the Star Wars universe. Now you have writers i don't know how they select their writers i don't know how they let people write for them but a lot of them don't seem to be star wars fans no justina ireland doesn't come off to me as a star wars fan didn't i mean chuck wendig called george race george sorry george racist excuse me called george lucas a a racist and a a, a turbo racist was the term that he used a turbo racist a turbo rate look up chuck wendig's tweets what have if you audience if you're bored at home one day just look up chuck wendig's tweets and get a good chuckle uh he's he's called george lucas's work a, a turbo racist uh like piece of amateur work like he's not a star wars fan did you find it let me let's see i i found something from uh 2018 so marvel puts it about right i i think so it says uh marvel well this is the uh the headline title marvel fires star wars comic writer chuck windig because of his social media negativity so i'm <laughs> guessing this is covering what you just said oh wow i didn't know about this <laughs> oh my gosh this is so bad so hilarious like why would you do that how do you how do you know that your job is not on the line for something like this I don't know. Pablo Hidalgo is the same way. He'll he will bash fans to their faces. Yes. Which is which is weird considering that he used to be the guy 
when Star Wars Insider had a Q&A section, he was the guy you would write into if you had a question about Star Wars. And he would answer your question, which he would mostly use with expanded universe knowledge and say, oh, yeah, well, that's because in this expanded universe novel, it's explained here that blah, 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 you know, that's why they're, you know, they can walk around on the Death Star, you know. And now he's bashing Star now Wars he's, theory. He's, it, yeah. for, for having a genuine emotional response that takes some balls to have like on a on a YouTube live, you know, like like putting your heart and soul out there on and having a genuine emotional reaction to something that you you care about deeply. Mm-hmm. And he's gonna come out and bash Star Wars theory for this, like how? What? His he wore that to me says that there is no like PR for Disney owned Lucasfilm, and that there needs to be some sort of like checks and balances. Because I, I remember when. The, the Chuck Wendig was just awful to expanded universe fans back in the early days of the decanonization and the early days of the new canon. Mm. And like, I remember reading one tweet and he was like, so he was condescending too. I remember reading one tweet where this kid was asking, cause you know, with um, and force awakens hadn't come out yet. And we just knew like the basic plot and, um, or, or I think no, I think Force Awakens had just come out, but he had a question about Luke's Jedi Academy, and he used the term of Luke's Jedi Proxium, which if mm-hmm. you're familiar with the expanded universe, that's what that's what um, Luke called his first Jedi Academy he set up on Yavin 4, kind of saying that like, yeah, I'll teach you how to be a Jedi, but this is a, a approximation of a Jedi because I don't know a lot about the Jedi because the Empire destroyed a lot of the records and stuff we had about the old Jedi. And I remember him responding to this guy being like, well, mm, apraxium is more of a, a, a term we wouldn't use in our, in our canon. It's more of a, you know, a, it's just like he's so condescending, you mm. know? Just like, why are you treating your fans like this? It, it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, the, the main, my main thought is Star Wars isn't made by Star Wars fans anymore. They're, I don't feel like... I, with the Mandalorian, you've got uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni, who are very passionate about Star Wars, and that's why it ends up working mm-hmm. because they're passionate about what they're doing, and they're not just kind of making something for the sake of having a slot on Disney Plus, so Disney right. can make a couple extra bucks, you know. And and they're. Uh... If, if their quarterly report is to be believed are failing to do so mm-hmm. because they have clocked, I, I think it was released uh, whenever their first one came out last month that uh, they needed 250 million subscribers to make it profitable. Mm-hmm. They have just over a hundred and Disney plus has been out for a, a couple of years now. Um, so. Ooh. Well, they also have to factor in that every single channel now has their own streaming service to the point where Netflix and Hulu are being stripped of programs like The Office 
where mm-hmm. you know you used to be able to, the office is on netflix forever you could watch all nine seasons every day from you know dawn till dusk but now you have to get peacock oh mm-hmm. do you want to watch uh, nickelodeon cartoons you got to get their new streaming paramount streaming service that's coming out soon oh you want to watch um you know you want you know what i'm saying yeah everything everything is a streaming service now and there's going to be a point where people are going to be like all right what i like to watch is on netflix hulu amazon prime i guess i don't need disney plus because there's nothing really there that screams you know i want to watch this you know so people are going to be picking and choosing because you can't have all of these streaming services. At that point, you might as well just have cable. Yeah. <laughs> Pay $500 for a bunch of crap you don't want. That's a big reason that I think we're going to see another um, content creator boom that mm-hmm. we saw back, I want to say maybe around 2012 or 13 mm-hmm. is when we saw the last really big one. Um because YouTube had a big content creator boom. I remember YouTube itself was a huge boom. Like I remember watching like uh, Tobuscus and PewDiePie Mm -hmm. and all those guys. They were kind of that pioneering generation. And Uh, now just everything has exploded. And it's good that there's this accessibility, but there's also just so much to choose from or you got to limit yourself. But that's going to be the the great thing about it is because now we don't just have YouTube. We have YouTube. We have uh, podcasts. Podcasts have taken off like a like a train, like a bullet train. Like especially millions. with especially with COVID, everybody likes to listen to podcasts while they work, while they work out. You know, I work from home. I I set up my secondary laptop. I put on Spotify and I listen to Small Town Murder. I'll listen to your podcast or uh sometimes i'll listen to joe rogan but i like to pick and choose the episodes because sometimes he talks to people that i don't like but mm-hmm. <laughs> but um you know it's just a, it's a more accessible thing right and, right right and i i think that uh, you know i i have netflix i have hbo max i have amazon prime um I, I have YouTube TV. I don't pay for all of these, but yeah, I I, I I I mooch off of my dad. We mooch off my girlfriend's mom's Netflix, my dad's Disney Plus and Hulu, and I think we have our own um, Amazon Prime. I think that's the only one we actually pay for. Yeah. So, <laughs> granted, I'm not paying for all of these, um, but I I think. The, the distillation will become so that people are going to say, well, I, I could not pay for 20 subscriptions and figure out which ones I can't be without, pay for those three, and then go back to all this free content that I can consume mm-hmm. with just a couple of 15 to 30 second commercials. All right. And it's free. So I unless I, you have Hulu Plus, you don't get any commercials. <laughs> what you have to pay for? Um, I don't. <laughs> so well, you don't. Um, <laughs> My father does. <laughs> so I I think it's gonna become too big, and the weight of it is going to cause the industry to kind of collapse in on itself, mm-hmm. to where 
both the, the free content thing is going to happen. And at the same time, the, the smaller subscription scraping, uh, sub, uh, entities, like, I don't think Paramount's going to do that great. I, I, I don't think that there are a couple of them that are going to, they're, they're going to come in late. If you're coming late to the game, you know, you're yeah. gonna have a hard time. I, I think I think some of the newer ones are gonna get eaten by Amazon and Netflix and and yeah, Netflix, Hulu. Amazon, and Hulu are the big Kahuna's. They they run the streaming service town, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm all for diversity. I'm I'm all for having as many players in the game as possible. It's but, free market economy. Yeah, but. Uh, I, survivability is is another key factor here mm-hmm. and i don't think that a lot of these are going to make it yeah but we'll have to see yeah i guess we will but uh, i think that is all the time we have for this one my friend uh thank you again so much for uh popping over thank you for having me on i love going on and doing other people's podcasts i love kind of outreaching to fans and i'm I'm really glad that you're enjoying my content. And I would ask if your subscribers wanted to come and, you know, check my channel out, I would ask them to do so because I think I produce some really great stuff. And I, I think if you're into star Wars and you're curious about the expanded universe, I think you'll really like it. Yes. And I, I've already uh, uh, given you a, uh, or your channel rather uh, a good old plug on my uh, social media uh, I'll, <laughs> Thank I'll, you conti- for that. I'll continue to do so uh, whenever I ha- uh, run across some videos that I, I extra like and uh, want, want to give them a good shout out. But uh, yeah, dude, uh, you, you are more than welcome to hop back over on the podcast anytime you want. Um, just, just message me. I'll, I'll come back anytime, you know, right. when, whenever we're not uh, having our D and D sessions or. <laughs> right. Well, I'm playing Dark Heresy, so Warhammer oh, okay. Forty Thousand. That's oh. what me and my buddies are playing right now. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh no! There's dark elves everywhere. Uh, they do so much damage. It's glass cannons. It's crazy. But yes, thank you for having me on. All right, man. Well, uh, thank you for being on and. For uh, everybody out there that's listening in, live long and prosper, my friends, and may the force be with us all.